You may be seated. The New Testament reading this morning is from Luke 19, 28 through 40. It may be found on page 1117 and 1118. That's Luke 18, 28 through 40. Please pray with me. Oh, Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your word. We ask now for your illumination. Open our hearts that we might uh, be changed by your word. Open our eyes that we might see what you want us to see. And open our ears to hear this wonderful story. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near Bethany and Bethage at the mount that is called Avalet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, when on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has even yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away found it, just as he has told them. And as they were untying the colt, his owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Thank you, Susan. As we continue our journey through the Psalms during this season of Lent, we want to turn to the only Psalm that is credited to Moses. Now, Moses, as you may remember from your days in Sunday school, was 80 years old when God called him to lead the people of Israel through the burning bush. Now, at the age of 80, I imagine most of us are not thinking about a career change, are we? I mean, Moses was 80 years old, quietly herding the sheep, keeping, uh, keeping his own, minding his own business, when God comes into his life and says, Moses, I want to use you. For many reasons, Moses says he's not the guy, but God says, no, you are the man. I'm going to send you to go and deliver my people from the evil hand of Pharaoh to take them into the promised land. And so at the age of 80, Moses is called, reminding us of the reality that Scripture continues to teach us, that if you're not dead, then God's not done. If you're not dead, then God's not done. God still has something he wants to do in and through you. In fact, in the case of Moses, God used Moses for another 40 years as he led the people through the wilderness, eventually to the promised land. 
As you look at the last chapter of Deuteronomy, we can see that God let Moses see the promised land on the top of Mount Nebo right before he died at the age of 120 years. By all accounts, Moses lived a very long and fruitful life. And yet in Psalm 90, Moses says that our lives are like grass, short and temporal. Now, no one really knows when Psalm 90 was written, but it is credited to Moses in the Psalter. And Psalm 90 takes a hard look at, the li- it takes a hard look at life and death. As we head into this Holy Week to celebrate the death and the resurrection of Jesus, this seems like the perfect psalm for us this morning. So please turn in your pew Bible to Psalm chapter 90. It may be found on page 630 of your pew Bible. Psalm chapter 90, beginning at verse 1. Listen to the word of the Lord. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood, they are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, For as many years as we have seen evil, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Here ends the reading of God's word. As the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me as we pray. Holy Spirit, please speak through me. That the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts might be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your Son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. So in two weeks I turn 40 and according to verse 10 I am halfway done with my life. That is, if I live to 80. Uh, Or, as he says earlier, some only live to 70. Interestingly, uh, to to note, in the United States today, the average age is 79. And as I look around our sanctuary this morning, I can see we have a lot of people who are above average. (laughs) Eddie Malin is way above average at 101 years old. He turns 102 in July. Be sure and uh, wish him happy birthday then. Now, none of us really know when we're going to die, do we? 
I mean, I mean, I may be halfway done with my life or I may die tomorrow. Who knows? But in verse 12 of Psalm 90, the psalmist prays to the Lord, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. As we look at Psalm 90 and the rest of Scripture, we can see that wisdom reminds us that life is short. And so we should live every day with intentionality. After all of us, none of us really know when we're going to die, do we? But Jesus did. Jesus knew when he was going to die, didn't he? In Luke chapter 9, verse 21 to 22, after Peter has boldly proclaimed that Jesus is the Christ, we read these following words. And he strictly, Jesus strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Jesus knew that he was going to suffer and die for the sins of the world. After all, that is why he came to this earth. As Luke explains in verse 51 of chapter 9, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus was bound and determined to go to Jerusalem, even though Jesus knew that he was going to die in Jerusalem. And so when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on that humble donkey, on that first Palm Sunday, Jesus knew that this makeshift parade was really a death march for him. Jesus knew that he was going to die in Jerusalem. And Jesus knew that while this crowd was yelling to him, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord on that first Palm Sunday, Jesus knew that many of his people would soon abandon him. And many on that Friday would yell with the crowd saying, crucify him, crucify him. Yes, Jesus knew he only had a few days left to live. What if you knew you only had a few days left to live? Would you do anything differently? In Psalm 90, we're reminded that life is very short in God's eyes. Our lives are like grass that is renewed in the morning that flourishes initially, but after a long, hot day, it fades away by evening. As we look at the wisdom literature of the Bible, when we can see consistently the Bible teaches us that life is short. As we read in Genesis chapter 3, we are dust, and to dust we shall return. So what can we do to make sure that we make the most of our time here on this earth? What can we do to make sure that as the psalmist cries out in verse 17, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. If we want the Lord to establish the work of our hands here on this earth, then we need to make sure that we are investing our lives, our talents, our time, and our resources in the kingdom of God. Because ultimately, that's the only thing that truly lasts. On that first Palm Sunday, Jesus knew he only had a few more days left before he would die. So let's look at the way that Jesus invested his time in his final days that we might begin to follow his example. Now, if you turn to the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you will see that the first thing Jesus does once he comes into the city of Jerusalem, he goes to the temple and he begins to turn over the tables in the temple. Now, please don't get any ideas here. Our our tables don't need to be turned over. (laughs) 
Jesus turned over the tables in the temple because he was upset that the vendors were making, taking advantage of the people's need to worship God by selling them animals for sacrifice and charging them a temple tax and overcharging them. Jesus lets everyone know that day that we must be just and fair in our business dealings. Jesus then goes on to spend most of his time in Jerusalem, his remaining days teaching in the temple, talking about the kingdom of God. When was the last time? When was the last time we talked to someone about the kingdom of God? When was the last time we invited someone here to the sanctuary to hear us talk about the kingdom of God? So Jesus spent most of his final days in the temple talking about the kingdom of God or on the Mount of Olives with his disciples talking about the kingdom of God. But what did he say about the kingdom of God exactly? Well, if you look at the teachings of Jesus that we find in the Gospel of Matthew, specifically chapters 24 and 25, you'll see that Jesus emphasizes the fact that one day we're all going to have to give an account for how we lived our lives. He talks about the the final days the last days. And he tells us that when Christ returns, we're all going to have to give account for how we spent our time here on this earth. What did we do with the talents and the resources and the time, the gifts that we've been given? Yes, one day Christ will return and we'll have to give an account for how we lived our lives. Reminds me of that old bumper sticker I once saw the years ago that said, Jesus is coming back. Look busy. Now, we laugh about that because the last thing we want to do is have Jesus come back and I'm sitting watching TV, right? (laughs) But according to Jesus, when he returns, when the final judgment of God takes place, according to Matthew chapter 25, we'll have to give an account of what we did with the time, talents, and resources that God had (coughs) given to us. So what should we be busy doing exactly? According to the parable of the sheep and the goats that we find in Matthew chapter 25, We need to spend our time on this earth ministering to the least of these. We need to spend our time, talents, and resources caring for the needs of others. As you know from the parable of the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25, the sheep are honored because they fed the hungry, clothed the naked, welcomed the stranger, and visited the prisoner. In essence, the sheep are honored for loving their neighbor as themselves, for living out the golden rule by doing to others as they would have done to them. It's according to Jesus, if we really want the work of our lives to be established and have an eternal impact, then we need to seek to minister to the needs of others. We need to reach out to those who are hurting. We need to care for the helpless. In 1923, Dr. Thompson, the longtime minister of our church, was having coffee at the Amarillo Hotel with some friends when he noticed three little children standing outside crying. The children were orphaned, hungry, and in need of clean clothing. Dr. Thompson and his friends fed and clothed the children and found them proper care. However, the memory of their crying faces haunted Dr. Thompson. And he was moved to find a way to help the other orphans in Amarillo as well. And on March 1st, 1924, the Presbyterian Home for Children was opened. 
Today, the Presbyterian Home for Children operates seven cottages providing love and shelter to children ages 5 to 10. There are four additional uh, adolescent homes and a transitional living cottage for high school juniors and seniors as well as alumni as they pursue college or a career. Each family-style cottage cares for up to eight kids in need of love and structure so that each child can reach his or her God-given potential. Today, they serve over 80 children a year, giving them the love of Christ so their lives might be forever changed. My wife, Sarah, actually has been tutoring one of the children at the children home, children's home uh, named Passion. And next Sunday, Passion is going to be baptized on Easter Sunday at 11.05. Passion is a beautiful young woman who just needs the love of Christ and a voice to encourage her each day. If we want God to establish the work of our hands as we pray in Psalm 90, then we need to invest in the kingdom of God. And one of the best ways that we can invest in the kingdom of God is by building the next generation for the kingdom of God, for the kingdom of Christ, by volunteering to help children in need of Christ's care. If you go to the Presbyterian Home for Children's website, you can find a myriad of ways to volunteer. You can serve as a tutor, uh, like my wife does, or you helping them with schoolwork, or you could actually tutor them in life skills. I called them, and they told me that uh, a lot of those kids want to learn how to drive, and if you're courageous enough to teach one of those kids how to drive, they'd love to have it. Or if you like sports, you could help them with their softball team that they have, or you could simply play basketball with them. Or if you'd rather be behind the scenes, you can help them with cleaning or cooking or cottage maintenance, painting they often need done, gardening, administrative support. There's no limit to what we can do to help the children at the Presbyterian Children's Home. And all you need to do is talk to Darren Murphy, the president of the Presbyterian Children's Home, who's a member here, or you can go to their webpage and call them and find out how you might volunteer specifically. But one thing I know, when we invest in the next generation for the kingdom of Christ, lives are changed for eternity. God establishes the work of our hands. In the summer of 1968, a young couples class in our church got this concept of investing in the next generation for the kingdom of Christ by helping start our own opportunity school. You see, this small couples class led by Jean and Elaine Edwards began to study a book called Inward Journey, Outward Journey. It pointed out that as you grow in your relationship with Christ, you grow in your awareness of the needs of those around you and how you might help them. This Sunday school class began to pray about ways they could have an impact in our community for the kingdom of Christ. And through their prayers and careful research, they noticed that there wasn't a a preschool for underprivileged kids in Amarillo. Through a lot of prayer and discussion with our session, they decided to start the Opportunity School. And in February of 1969, the Opportunity School began. The Opportunity School still operates in our building today, and they now have two campuses with 150 students. And they could use our help, according to Jill Goodrich, a member of our church, who is now the executive director of the Opportunity School. If you go to their webpage, you can find a list of volunteer opportunities like uh, classroom assistant, office volunteer, gardener, librarian, or simply a guest reader. In fact, Eddie Malin, whom I mentioned just a moment ago, who's 101 years old, still volunteers once a month as a guest reader to these children. Because Eddie knows that if you're not dead, God's not done. None of us 
really know when we're going to die, do we? But as we pray Psalm 90 and ask the Lord to help us number our days, we can see that as the famous British missionary C.T. Studd once said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. If we want to see the Lord establish the work of our hands, and as the psalmist prays in Psalm 90, then we need to give our time, talents, and resources to the work of God's kingdom. And one of the most strategic areas we can invest in the kingdom of God is by investing in children. As verse 16 of Psalm 90 states, Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. The psalmist knows that the future of God's people is found in their children. George Barna, the famous church statistician through his nationwide church research, has discovered the most most receptive demographic to the gospel of Christ in the United States today are children. He shares that the probability of someone embracing Jesus as his or her Savior was 32% for those between the ages of 5 and 12. 4% for those 13 to 18, and 6% for people 19 or older. If people don't embrace Jesus Christ as their Savior before they reach their teenage years, the chance of their doing so at all is slim. George Barnett goes on to state that, having devoted more than two decades of my life and all of my professional skills to studying and working with ministries of all types, I am now convinced the greatest hope for the local church lies in raising godly children. Of course, raising godly children, it begins in our homes, doesn't it? I knew if I only had a few days left to live, I would spend as much time as I could loving my children, telling them the good news of Jesus and how He will be with them no matter what they might go through. Of course, faith is more, is more caught than just taught, isn't it? We have to model the love of Christ if we want our children and grandchildren to truly understand the love of Christ. Jesus spent three years with his disciples teaching them and showing them how to live as a faithful citizen in the kingdom of God. As we look at Psalm 90 this morning, I have to agree that life is short. As we think about the final days of Jesus, we can see that Jesus only taught not only taught about the kingdom of God, but he modeled the kingdom of God when he got on his hands and knees and washed the disciples' feet in the upper room. He modeled the sacrificial nature of the kingdom of God when he humbly died on the cross for our sins, thereby putting the needs of others before his own so that we might be saved. If we want the Lord to establish the work of our hands, if we want our lives on this earth to have an eternal impact for the kingdom of God, then we need to do all that we can to use our time, our talents, our resources for the kingdom of God. Our church gives 12% of its operating budget to local and global missions because we know that God wants us to, to invest in the kingdom of God both inside and outside the walls of this place. In just a moment, Will Essler, our urban director, will share with you, and uh, Kyle Amos will share with us one of the ways that our church is helping have an impact for the kingdom of God outside the walls of this place. The two local ministries that we give the most money to out of our operating budget every year is the Opportunity School 
and the Presbyterian Home for Children because we believe that God loves all of the little children. As Jesus said, let the little children come unto me for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Our church recently hired a new children's director, Cindy Roten, and we have an early childhood director, Debbie Lauer, because we are committed to building the next generation for the kingdom of Christ. In recent years, we started a, a, a small mother's co-op preschool program in our church on Mondays that Debbie leads, where moms are able to rotate in and help Debbie teach the class. My wife has been a part of this, as well as many other wives, and they've been able to see how Debbie is able to mobilize these class of two-year-olds and three-year-olds to clean a room. It's amazing. They sing this song, clean up, clean up, and the kids clean up. It's a great way to teach, a parent, to teach parents how to parent. But they also bring the gospel. Remember, just a few weeks or months ago, we baptized Amy Wellbaum here. Amy's son, AJ, was in that class. Amy was raised Jewish. And when Christmas came along, they did a little nativity scene. They had the figurines, and they were telling the story. And she had never heard that story before. She didn't know that Jesus was born in a manger until she heard about it at co-op. God is doing an amazing work through the children's ministry of our church here today, helping disciple children and their parents as well. We have children's Sunday school every Sunday morning from 9.45 to 10.45, and a wonderful Wednesday night program from 6 to 7, or from 7 to 8 every night here in our church. Because we know that God has called us to build the next generation for the kingdom of Christ. What can you do to help build the next generation for the kingdom of Christ? Whether that be inside or outside the walls of this place. Because the scripture is real clear. As we look at Moses, who is credited for writing Psalm 90, if we're not dead, then God's not done. How might God use us with our remaining days to help build the next generation for the kingdom of Christ? How might God use us to help build the next generation of king, for the kingdom of Christ by volunteering with our children's ministry or the Presbyterian Children's Home or the Opportunity School? In doing so, helping ensure that God will establish the work of our hands forever. As we invest in the next generation for the kingdom of Christ, God establishes the work of our hands forever. And God is glorified. And people are brought to Christ. And lives are changed for eternity. Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for the way that you are able to use us to help minister to the next generation. God, we thank you, Lord, for your many blessings. We thank you for the gift of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth to be for us the way, the truth, and the life. We thank you, Lord, that you said, let the little children come unto me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And so here in this church, we have a legacy of doing all that we can to minister to children, whether that be through the Presbyterian uh, Home for Children or Opportunity School or the Sunday School programs that we have within our own facility. God, I pray that you might move in each one of our hearts to see how we might make the most of our remaining days. Help us to see how we might do the work of your kingdom so that you might establish the work of our hands forever. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son, who is the Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Now our-